last year, I think were probably like my toughest, you know, mental health battles. You know, for me, what I had to reconcile with was a lot of my validation that I, you know, sort of had in my life was from getting on stage every night. I would find myself last year just feeling like horrible and having such a lack of self-confidence and feeling just like an amateur again and what am I doing and, and you know, what's happening. I got so used to, okay, I get on stage, I dance a little bit and people clap for me. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how like I'm able to have any sense of confidence. Hey, I'm Tag, the chief exec of Gay Times. I've always been interested in real conversations. And beyond my life at Gay Times, I want the same connections and understanding that you do. I've always been fascinated with queer people across our community who have blazed a trail in their own unique way. In music, activism, film, fashion and more, these inspirational LGBTQ plus people have smashed through the gates of their industries, refusing to take no for an answer. Believe it or not, I'm not a journalist. So get ready to uncover real stories, unfilter the conversation and enjoy some very unscripted moments. This isn't going to be a one-way conversation, and I might find myself in the hot seat too sometimes. This is Tag Talks. In this Gay Times original series, I'll be joined by well-known faces for one-on-one -on -one authentic conversations to learn about their unique journeys, how they created space in their respective industries, and became inspirational figures. Why? Because representation matters. In a world where four out of five LGBTQ plus people, that's all of you, say you need more representation across the board in all walks of life, you may well be following in their footsteps very soon. Today, I'm joined by singer-songwriter Grayson Chance. Grayson rose to national attention in 2010 with his performance of Lady Gaga's Paparazzi at a Grey School music festival which went viral on YouTube. He went on to land a major record deal and today, at the age of 23, represents a new generation of singer-songwriters who authentically lend their experiences to music, inspiring loyal fan bases the world over. Grayson is also one of the most successful and visible LGBTQ plus musicians in the world. Hey, Grayson. How are you doing? Hello. I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here, Tag. I'm really excited to have you. This is, yeah, a huge pleasure for me. And like, I'm just super excited to have a conversation today. And yeah, I'm such both a huge fan and admirer of yours. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, everybody should know who's listening as well. Tag and I, full disclosure, are actually friends. Exactly. Believe it or not, um, <laughs> outside of this podcast. So if we seem to be a little too personal with each other, it's because there have been nights before the pandemic over drinks at the Soho house. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But all, all the better for listening to, hopefully. I wanted to start off by saying congratulations on the new single. Thank you so much. We love it. And I see it's doing incredibly well on streaming and people Thanks. seem to be like receiving it really well. How does that feel? It feels honestly like such a um, breath of fresh air and kind of like a release off of my mind because I've been working on so much music last year and I've honestly, this album has been quite a bit tricky to put together. You know, I kind of was hitting some roadblocks with it. I kind of changed uh, things up in the middle of writing it conceptually. And so 
you know, I finally kind of got it together. And, and this is like the first taste of what's to come off of the record. And so it just, it's such a joy to release music to the fans and to see them respond to it. So it's been a really, really exciting past few weeks. Amazing. We're going to get to that in a bit more detail, I think, in a bit. We were texting the other day because of said pandemic that it's been a moment. And I think, I can't remember you said, but you said it's been about 16,000 years since we've seen each other. It it feels that way. Yeah, so I had been in London in February because we were shooting the Gay Times cover. There's a little plug there. (laughs) No. Um, And we were shooting that and, you know... Best-selling Gay Times cover. Yes, yes. And my year at that point was like, 2020 was supposed to be so busy, so much travel... And I remember like, um, I had been looking back in e- at my personal journal and I had written when I was in London, like, okay, this is the schedule for this year. This is what to get used to. It's going to be a lot of international traveling. Right. And then that was my last, like one of my last planes I took was coming back from London. And at that time, like there were just brief reports about COVID. And I remember being like, huh, this is like so strange and so weird. And then I landed back in Oklahoma, um, where I live. And I mean, I have barely left since. Right. And I think the first thing I always think, I know you'll share this because you're, you are generally one of the most kind of like thoughtful and compassionate people that I've met. I think that you would definitely share the sense that obviously the impact of the pandemic is the first thing that we all think about. Like it's obviously, you know, impacted people's lives in unimaginable ways, not just through losing family or friends, but also through the economy and people's jobs and stuff. But at the same time, there's a very personal impact. So like I know there's a lot of actually the last 12 months that I've almost had to sort of get to terms with that like, you know, when things don't happen in the way that you've worked really hard for them to happen and like you put all of this sort of um, excitement and expectation like you're saying for you that we've been traveling loads, I found that really hard, you know, at times to kind of grapple with because suddenly everything melted away and you know, it's not your fault, it's not anyone's fault. And how have you reconciled that last year? Have you got to a place where you've been able to say like, it's okay, like it will all come back? Or do you still feel sad in a way that you didn't get to do all of that traveling and and everything that was kind of lined up? You know, it's such a day-by-day process. Last year, and, and still, you know, parts of this year too, I think were probably like my toughest, you know, mental health battles. I think too, what's interesting is like, and this is going to sound a little, um, my mom would say it would sound a little uppity, um, (laughs) but this was just my life and my perspective was like, you know, for me, what I had to reconcile with was a lot of my validation that I, you know, sort of had in my life was from getting on stage every night. Mm -hmm. And I've talked Mm -hmm. to other artists um, and to some of my friends about this, but I would find myself last year just feeling like horrible and and having such a lack of self-confidence and feeling just like an amateur again and what am I doing and and you know what's happening and I think it really was because self-consciously like I got so used to okay I get on stage I dance a little bit and people clap for me <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's how like I'm able to have any sense of confidence and so when that's completely stripped away you know, it's like weird. I And my friends have to remind me, but I found myself in Oklahoma last year just feeling like such a failure and being like, what am I doing? What What is, is it, is it because of me? Am I all of a sudden lazy? Am I, you know, and just going through all of these different things. And so when I think about too, you know, like my friends and then also my fans as well, and how is it to be a young kid during all this? Like, I, I just can't even imagine. If someone like me, who, you know, I like to consider that I kind of have it together, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, what would it be like when you're 18 years old and, and just starting to discover who you are and, and trying to see the world for the first time? It's just, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like have always been pretty open about the fact that I've struggled a lot with like anxiety and depression. Yeah. I go to therapy a lot. And last year I had very similar feeling. We do very different things, you know, yeah. like we we obviously have different points of reference in our lives, but your equivalent, you know, like going on stage and getting that feeling back was for me, it was like having no connection to the audience whatsoever because I'm just in my apartment every single day. Like I can't see people, I can't feel the like audiences, like the community and like what they're responding to and like seeing them like at events or, you know, music gigs, whatever it is. And just getting that feedback all the time, because I think it's funny the when you mentioned, you know, that lack of validation, quote unquote, I think we as like a a society have so made validation to such like a negative thing and tried to sort of make it into something which is bad when actually validation also gives you you know a hormonal boost and it shows you what's working and it shows you a sense of feedback and it's so important for all of us to get that pat on the back of like you're doing a good job and then as you say that comes a lot for you I'm sure of like getting on stage and people saying like this is amazing this is fucking awesome and I love this so there's no wonder that that's going to be a challenge because it's just taken away one day and then you're <laughs> you're told to just like get on with it and be fine and you're like but that's my source of like yeah pat on the back like you're doing a good job grace and keep going of course so yeah it's been difficult and i mean too like you know the only thing that really got me through it and is continuing to get me through it is is just pouring myself into the music and it's really interesting for me too and and for anybody who doesn't know this about me but you know, I started off really, really young and went through every sort of trial and tribulation in the industry. I took a step away from it when I was 18, decided to go to college. My career at that point was kind of like non-existent. And the only thing that got me back to music was this album that just kind of wrote itself. You know, I really just sat down at the piano for eight months and it, it just all came out. And that was my record Portraits. And so what I found in the middle of the pandemic of feeling so all over the place, feeling kind of a lack of self-worth, not really sure of where to go, I was like, okay, let's sit down at the piano again and let's see what happens. And that's how this whole album came about. And of course, I'm, I'm the type of artist too. I pulled the whole thing where I had to call the label and, said, and say, hey, so you know those like 15 songs that we really liked? Yeah, we're, we're going to scrap those. <laughs> and I'm allowed to do that because I wrote them. Um, and so here's a here's a new 15 and they're like oh my god Um, but that was the only thing that really saved me through it you know born in texas raised in oklahoma grace and chance is that kid you may remember singing lady gaga's paparazzi on youtube about 10 years ago that was my first experience of a viral video Within days, he was catapulted to international fame when The Ellen Show featured the 13-year-old singing sensation. Nearly 8,000 miles away, I sat on our family computer, which was this humongous boxy Dell, watching a young kid, just like me, living out his dream. The phone call from Lady Gaga herself probably made me a little bit jealous, if I'm honest, but the innocence of Grayson experiencing it all was truly captivating. Little did he know, it was just a taste of what was to come. You started out in the industry pretty young, really, really young. I imagine at the time, 
you might have just been so overwhelmed, I'm guessing, by everything going on. What can you remember about that time? And did it feel quote-unquote normal? Were you like, I was born to do this, this is my life? Or were you just like, this is crazy and really strange? Well, it's interesting because I think now when I look back at it, I think the biggest thing that I have is like a huge compassion for my parents, actually, because they were... I mean, it was absolutely bizarre. And first and foremost, too, like, I do not come from money at all. Like, uh, my parents worked, like, multiple jobs, and we were very, very middle class, probably even a little bit below that. So all of a sudden, these checks were coming in and things were happening. And, you know, they were always like, what do you want to do? And I, I don't think I had any sort of feeling of like, okay, I'm born to do this. This is like my destiny. Mm. But I think what I did realize was like, okay, this is an opportunity that is like never going to happen again. So we have to take it. And those first like few years, I, I really like, it was almost like I was in artist training. You know, I learned what it was like to be in the studio. I learned, you know, how to kind of handle myself in an interview. I learned what to do at a meet and greet, what to do when somebody makes you feel a little strange (laughs) at a meet and greet, what to do (laughs) when you're on stage, you know, all these different things. And it does just feel like such a blur. But I think now, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I'm so thankful that I got to learn so many lessons at that early stage. But it, yeah, I mean, it just, I joked about this on Twitter the other day, but Fans were asking me about the unfriend you video, and I said, "Oh, I was I was blacked out on that set," <laughs> and they were like, "You were 14," and I was like, "Honey, I was blacked out for three <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> like, I just I I just woke up in the morning and got on the plane." I love that, but I kid you not, unfriend is <laughs> actually on. I've got like a running playlist, which is like an auto-generating one from my library. But because that song is in my library, it did pick it up a few months back, and I was like, "I'm obsessed." the fact that unfriendly's been pulled back from the dead so, from my no, running <laughs> and what sucks is that it's actually literally having a resurgence like i got an right? email is a few it? weeks ago and and they were like hey we're noticing this song is picking up streams and I blame TikTok and I hate it. And I it's think... 100% TikTok. It's so TikTok. I'm, I'm like, this song was... Was this song a hit and did nobody tell me about it when I was 14? Um, but it is... I just think it's hilarious. Have you watched the video before, Tag? I don't think I have. If you, if you want a good it. laugh, like, people got paid. Wait, wait, wait. Is this the one where you're like, kind of like strutting around and feeling like really empowered like in the street are you in the street no no no. this is this is the one uh that's featuring ariana oh my god okay i've not watched this but i've heard about it or think i've seen something on tiktok about it but no i've not i've not seen it you you have to watch it but it's like crazy (laughs) i look back at those old videos and i'm like somebody got paid to like put me in those clothes to do this set design like were, were they blacked out? I mean, it's just all, all, of the, all of the questions. I'm just like, what is happening? So I, of course, like Ron Gay Times, this big LGBTQ media company, and I come from the media landscape. So I get to view a lot of this stuff on the other side, right? So like when you talk about, you know, who's paid to go on set, which record label exec thinks is a good idea, I get privy to a lot of those conversations, which is oh, yeah. amazing, but it's also really fascinating. And one question I wanted to ask you, because I think you're really unique. Actually, I think, I can't think of many artists that have gone through this. You had your first introduction to the world in what I would call the most traditional media landscape, you know, in in that era, aka 
it was like television, like network television. Like we saw you on Ellen and Good Morning America and like big TV moments. And then you went away for a little while and then you came back. And now I would probably describe you as an artist that I associate most with having an incredibly loyal global social fan base who like rallies around you in a social media capacity, obviously in a live like events capacity as well. But you've you've got like a huge audience on social media. How have you found that change? Because that's a very different way of interacting with people going from like literally talk shows to direct communication with your fans on social media. And and have you noticed that difference between kind of first time that the world met you and then the second time they kind of re-met you in a way a few years later? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. You know, the thing that's interesting too about being in it for as long as I have been, right? Like this will be, I think May of this year, it will be 11 years since paparazzi, um, which is just so bizarre. But What's been the coolest thing about it is that, you know, a good majority of my fan base grew up with me. Like the same right. people that were coming to my shows when I was 13 are, are, you know, now still streaming the music. And I think that's just so unique and, and kind of so special. I, I think I could have the biggest album in the world. I could be the biggest pop star or whatever, but there will always still be somebody within my life that will go, oh my God, wait, are you that kid? And it's just because like, you know, TV has that impact. It's also interesting too. I mean, the the media giveth and it also taketh away, right? Like it's it's so funny now too, as I've been, you know, trying to, you know, throughout the years kind of get back into music and re-promote things. The same people that were so interested about having me on the show when I was the kid, you know, yeah. won't answer the phone anymore. And it's just, it's that's sort of an interesting thing too, you know? Yeah, it is. And I think, again, I I feel that's one of the things I find most dismaying about the media. It's probably yeah. the, something, the side of the industry that I see that I find the most disappointing because sometimes the people that make those decisions have so little capacity and knowledge to make those decisions on than an instant gut reaction in the moment based on very little evidence in front of them. And I think that's so crazy to me that you know, like, as you mentioned, like, it's either booking a TV appearance or w- whatever it might be. It's just based on one person's particular point of view in a single moment of their life. Of and there's, there's nothing about it that's more scientific than that. And I think people think there's a huge science and loads of stuff that goes into us. And a lot of the time, it's just some one person's opinion that you'll never meet. And that sucks. <laughs> yes. It really sucks. Literally. I think the thing that I I find interesting is social media has democratized a lot of that. Streaming mm-hmm. has massively democratized that because you have a, a vehicle to get music to people and you don't have to go through those processes of like manufacturing CDs and getting it to Target yeah. and everything, right? So I think in a way, hopefully that does give you like a closer access in a way to both your fan base, but also then back to you in a sense of like, you know, uh, how they respond to things. What do they love? Like, how do they feel inspired by your music? And hopefully that feels a bit closer than doing a TV show where it's a bunch of cameras and down the lens, you don't know who's watching it, if that makes sense. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I have an access to be able to, you know, talk to people directly online. And I mean, like, and too, my fans know that like, I, I think they get a little scared sometimes at how accessible I am. <laughs> like I'm very, if I see something on the timeline that I'm like, oh my gosh, I will reply. I'll be in your DMs. <laughs> I, will, I will let you know what I think about it. 
Fast forward a few years after Paparazzi and Grayson, still only in his mid-teens, signs a major record deal and releases his debut album, Hold On Till The Night. Today, the album's enjoying a resurgence amongst fans due to streaming and the popular social media platform TikTok. So going back to childhood a little bit, you mentioned you grew up in Oklahoma, but you were born Mm -hmm. in Texas, right? Born in Texas, but really like raised in Oklahoma. Fine. So raised in Oklahoma. So take us back to like late 90s, early 2000s, pre-paparazzi like (laughs) era. What's going on? Like what's your family life like? Paint a picture of like before paparazzi of like who Grayson was and what you were like inspired by and what you wanted to be in the world. Yeah, very, very tight-knit family. I have parents who are still married to this day. And I have two older siblings who I'm very close to. But my dad had a business venture that had done very, very well. And when I was like three or four years old, he had to declare bankruptcy. So we were like very kind of just starting out again. And it's funny, I talk to my parents about it now. And like, they held it together so much for us when things were really, really tough. And I think that developed when I was younger, a sense of, you know, I'm so appreciative of everything now. You know, I take nothing for granted and and I and I think it's because of those early memories. But as a kid, I wanted to be involved in everything. You know, the second I realized that I could sing, I was like, okay, where's a mic? Where's the stage? What's going on? What what can I be a part of? I was like an avid soccer player and I wanted no to way. be the best soccer player in the world. Yeah. And I just I wanted to be involved in everything. And I think I was very even as a kid, I wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, you know, if somebody said, hey, you know, stop playing on the, the piano, like it's it's time to chill out, I would go, no, 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 I have to practice this thing because I want to go into my teacher tomorrow and do this. And and I was just a, kind of tenacious and probably a bit of an asshole <laughs> also <laughs> as a kid. I feel like you're one of those like star pupil students. That's like an amazing all-rounder. <laughs> like I, you described I was, that. I was a pretty good student and I got, you know, it's now looking back, I'm sure like, you, it's like one of those things too, when you come out, you look back at your like older self and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm sure I was like strutting down the hallways <laughs> during whatever I was doing. But I do remember I was like slightly bullied. You know, I got called like all the names that you kind of get called. Um, but I think it was really because I was very popular with girls because like, obviously I was, you know, like I've listened to them, um, which was something that they had no experience with um, amongst the boys in, in school. And so... I was like a little bullied, but nothing too crazy. And um, I was just living life. And then literally 12 years old, it all happened. Just being cute little Grace and Chance with the girlies. (laughs) Yes, little bull head cut looking (laughs) just crazy. Abercrombie, Hollister, the whole nine yards. Yeah, exactly. And I've got exactly the same pictures of the same haircut. Uh (laughs) Something because we're like a similar enough age that that was going around at that time for sure. Yes. I think one of the things I personally find quite difficult to do, I know that I struggle with this a lot, is to feel kind of proud of myself in any way. And one thing that I massively know that helps me is taking a few steps back and trying to get into that headspace of a younger version of myself, looking at myself now. And it does help me to completely flip that narrative. So what would like that Grayson talking to the girls, having just played a game of soccer or whatever and prancing down the hallway. 
before paparazzi, like, what do you think that Grayson would think of today's Grayson? And like, how proud do you think that Grayson would be of where you've come? I, I mean, so immensely proud. And, and you know, that's funny that you say that because I remind myself of that all the time. My boyfriend reminds me of that all the time. The way that I'm wired is I'm always thinking about the next thing, um, you know. And, and what's unfortunate, too, about being a musician sometimes is that everything is measurable down to your stream counts, down to your followers, down to what, how is that post doing. And so I'm like constantly living in a numbers world of, you know, thinking about this and, and all these different things. And what I fail to realize sometimes is, you know, the progress that I've made as an artist and as a creative. And, you know, I think my younger self would not only be so proud um, of me for, you know, being true to who I am and, and living as, you know, an out gay person, but also just, you know, what I get to do. I filled my first passport when I was 15. That's an insane and unheard of, you know, not only from where I came from, but, you know, from anywhere else. And so I think he would be so proud. And I think I, I need to remind myself of that more. But out, outside of me and you too, I think everybody needs to remind themselves more of that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Do you ever think about how you define success? All the time. And that's something that, oh, this is feeling like a therapy session very quickly, Zach. <laughs> this is nice. Um, I do. And you've seen Five Foot Two, right? You've seen the Lady yeah, Gaga of documentary. Yeah, of course. What I think so interesting about that and, and you know, what I know about Gaga is that, you know, take somebody like her, right? So she's about to get laced up for the Super Bowl and she looks over to the guys and she goes, hey, this is really important to me. You know, please make sure you get me up there. And then it shows her backstage and she's looking around and she's going, what, what do we do next? What's up? And I think every artist is wired like that, where I, I honestly don't think, Tag, I don't think you could give me any sort of plaque. I don't think you could tell me anything about what a record did or what award I would win, whatever, without me going, okay, well, that's all well and good, but what's next? And, and that's sometimes healthy and sometimes more, more so than not very, very toxic. And, you know, I'm trying to kind of focus in on that. What's helped the most is that, like, I'm totally one of those lucky case scenarios where I found love in the pandemic. You know, having someone and not only having someone as, like, remarkable as I have, being able to tell me, hey, you know, you need to, you need to realize that, like, you're actually doing quite well and that you have an impact with people. And that's really important. And I yeah. go, okay, you're right. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, but okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You know. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast coming to Gay Times. One of the most fascinating parts of my role at the company is having access to our historic archives spanning five decades. A long running feature by the name of Media Watch critiqued and commented on the rampant homophobia and transphobia in our press. Unfortunately, that prejudice is still rife even if a little more underhanded. So the team at Gay Times has been working hard to bring a new audio version of Media Watch to a whole new generation. Hosted by the incredible Shamir Sani, make sure you check out the new series today. The Telegraph published an article stating, the government's proposed ban on conversion therapy would criminalize Christian parents who want to stop their children seeking transgender treatment. First one from The Telegraph is very, I'm not going to say shocking, because if you're queer, these things often become quite numb. You're just like, okay, yeah, there's someone, someone else being outrageous. But yeah, it was, it was a difficult read. There's this constant back and forth between religion and the LGBTQ community. 
community. And so when it comes to conversion therapy specifically, it's like there's this big focus on Christian aspect of it. For me, it was, you know, growing up in Pakistan, it was that if you found out that your son was gay, that you would take them to the imam for help to save you from the curse, so to speak. In this piece, if you were to look at what they're saying, is being posed as something that is very, you know, caring when it's not in, in any facet of the imagination. I remember watching that documentary, the Gaga documentary, mm-hmm. and actually just, I actually cried a lot. Yeah. And I, I remember speaking to a friend about it and they were like, you know, why did you get so upset? Like, she's this huge international pop star. And I said, like, I know this is going to sound really stupid and you're going to call me like egotistical or whatever, but I'm not. Like, I just feel a huge sense of oneness with how her thought process goes. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I think in the same way. And of course, yeah, I know I'm not Gaga, but I was like, I get it. Like, I so get that. If you can be at the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl at the halftime show and talk about like, as you say, like, what else can I do? Like, what else can I do to get like another foot forward? For me, that was like, oh my God. And I actually, it's so funny you referenced that because I remember coming away from that. I think I watched it like three times in a row, which is something I often will do just to like get my head into it because <laughs> I'm a bit like crazy like that. But I remember coming away from it and going, actually a sense of relief. If you can be that mm-hmm. and you still have that feeling, okay, there's not something almost wrong with me. Because I kept thinking like, what's it going to take, Tag? Like, what's it going to take before you stop working? Or like, let yourself go out and enjoy your time with like some friends and like, don't work seven days a week. And I'm just have that thing in me of like, you've got to prove yourself again and again and again. And I just get what you're saying about, you know, numbers and everything's measurable and everyone else is going to measure you. And of course, as you say, it, it you you can't let yourself get away from it because it can become so toxic. But at the same time, it's this weird double-edged sword where it also makes you so motivated and it yeah. can be this huge driving force behind you. So I both personally love it and hate it. So it's this thing that I try and keep in check. Yeah, me too. So she's backstage at the Super Bowl going, okay, so what's next? And then she wins an Oscar like two or three years <laughs> right, later. Right. Oh my God. So then, oh my God, it's so funny. Uh-huh. So then I was like, Tag, you need to retrain and just become an actor because yeah. that's how you do it. And then you know very well that she was backstage at the Oscars going, okay, what's up? What's next? A hundred percent. Moving kind of through the timeline of your life, I remember you telling me about the fact you went to college Mm-hmm. And I was like, in my head at least, I probably didn't tell you. I was like, "What? Pop stars going to go, don't go to college? <laughs> like that doesn't work. Yeah. You're, like you're a pop star. <laughs> like you're a recording <laughs> artist. Like you, you know, like that's that's what you do. Like how the hell do you have time to go to college? So, tell me a bit about that and how important it was for you to go to college and take that step back. Yeah, I'll paint the picture. Um, I was 18 years old at this point. I was like pretty full time living out in LA. Um, on my own too, which was crazy because when I was younger, you know, I'd have a parent there. And I had been dropped by a record label by my first one. At this point, I was on my third management team. There had just been a cycle of people kind of in and out. Had finally sort of developed enough of a confidence as a writer to say, okay, I want to write all of my music now. And, you know, I devoted myself to a project. I put it out and nothing happened. And, you know, we couldn't get any sort of publicity, any sort of attention on it. You know, the fans were still there, but it was just, it was difficult and it was tough. And I had to level with myself at 18 years old to say, 
do you want to be a person who's going to be trying at this thing over and over again and potentially reaching a status of, like, I was so worried, like, I just didn't want to fall into that thing of, oh, yikes, the paparazzi kid, like, uh, didn't really turn out so good, right? Like, I, I was very, very concerned about that at the time. And I just said, okay, screw it then. I was like, it didn't work out. Maybe you're not meant to do this. Maybe it's time to, you're young enough to do something else and to try something else. And so in a way, like, you know, you tell people don't give up on your dreams, keep going, keep going. The only thing that got me closer to my dream was actually taking a step back from it and saying, it's right. not right right now. The timing is not good. And I went to college very, very dead set on never doing music again. I didn't touch a piano for a year. It almost felt like in post-addict looking back at a drink and saying, no, 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 I, I don't do that anymore. I mean, it was that like severe in my mind. Like I wow. had such trauma from it. And so I went to school and in my second year of college, I really, really enjoyed it. I loved what I was doing in, in university. And in my second year, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a keyboard up into my apartment and, and see what happens. And like eight months later, I had a full album. And I hated myself for it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> come on. But I knew, I knew it was good enough. And I knew that if I just focused on it, and I told myself too at that point, I was like, I'm going to handle the visuals as well. I started taking Photoshop classes at this little local community college. I wanted to do everything. And, you know, we put it out and then my world changed again. Which, I mean, n not to interrupt your flow, but I'm guessing with you doing everything, I'm, I'm probably not guessing too far that that might have been the antithesis of what the first album would have been, which is you doing not everything, right? A lot yeah. of it being done for you. Yeah, you know, that, that was the thing too, is like I, you know, had had this already like strange kind of lengthy career as an artist, right. but I wasn't involved in anything. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's that's too why why all the fans will be like, oh, you know, why don't you like you know the old album and stuff? And it's like, no, I I I like it, and you know, I think it, I did a good job as a fourteen year old, but there is a sense of trauma associated with that part of my life because all I can sort of correlate it with is rejection and mm -hmm. being stuck in a cage, and people saying, no, this is what you're doing. You know, we're the label, we're the management team. You know, we know what you're doing. You're this kid from Oklahoma. Like, don't don't try to have an opinion. That's right. all I know from that chapter of my life. So I think, you know, now as, as an artist, like I even have to catch myself too, even with my current situation of, and when somebody comes with an opinion to me, I'm usually like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I right. know what I'm doing. And then I'm like, hold up, hold up. It's, it's a different time now, you know? Yeah. But it's just because it was a really tricky time of my adolescence. I think that's something that we, I think as people all struggle with a little bit is that how we're kind of, I think, expected to be completely at one with every single era of our life thus yeah. far, even as really, you know, young people that are still figuring stuff out. And then you're almost then being constantly asked about it you talk about it and as you say you might even have people around you being like oh why don't you love that i loved that you should love that yeah. and you have to try and reconcile it with yourself when everybody goes through life and has different eras of phases where you think actually i didn't really feel that close to myself then or that felt really yeah. not great and as you say there's a sense of either like trauma associated with it or happiness and we're allowed to take bits with us i think one thing i always try and tell people just from like a compassionate sense is that we have to allow ourselves to think to be 
able to change our minds on things as well and be like a bit you know hypocritical and be like yeah I know I said I didn't like that at that point and now I do or maybe it's time the other way around but that's okay and we can't hold each other up to this like crazy level of expectation it's not the narrative that we're often presented with which is it was always my dream it was the dream since yeah. I was a child and look at me now I'm the most successful person in the world and it's not that's not how life is it's not how life works for so many people yeah and it's you know what I've realized too now is that it, it's not a choice for me anymore like I I don't know what capacity I mean I have my hopes and and my aspirations of what capacity music will be in my life and until I take my last breath but it's how I cope it's how I get through you know and it's sort of how I just interpret life as well and so it it's it's not a choice anymore writing songs it's it's just what I do yeah I remember the day that you posted on your Instagram about mm-hmm. being a part of the LGBTQ plus community and that kind of Wait, like what? coming out, didn't you? I didn't... Ta- no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, what I, I misremembered? <laughs> I have done that in interviews since like the beginning of the portrait cycle. And it's so funny when we would do international press and there would be a translator and I would just freak out these poor, poor journalists in Taiwan <laughs> that would just be looking at me like, wait, what? <laughs> well, because thank God, none of you can see what I look like right now. My, the, the, the hue, the saturation of my skin tone has definitely gone up a little redder. That was on my but... close friends. <laughs> <laughs> like what sparked it? Like why then? Why at that point? So I had come out originally to like my friends and family when I was 16. So I came out like two years before, or I guess I came out privately two years before I did it publicly. And believe it or not, like, you know, a a lot of people have asked me, they've always said, you know, did you take a minute to do it publicly because, you know, you were worried about any backlash or any fallout? This sounds so interesting and strange, but I waited because I was nervous about the opposite. I, I had a sense and I had a feeling that it was kind of going to bring me back into the limelight in a way that I, I didn't know if I was ready for. And I think it was something that I would have rather people been writing about the music I was making at the time rather than, oh my gosh, okay, this, you know, this kid is also gay. And so I had this strange kind of thing about it. And then I got this message from a fan in Arkansas, which is a neighboring state in Oklahoma, and he just detailed out this message that I, I resonated with so much. You know, he told me about how he was going to have to be in the closet for a long time. He came from a, a family situation that he knew he would be kicked out and just said all these things. And at the end of the message, he said, you know, I know you're not gay, but I find your story inspiring. And, you know, thanks for still making music. And I just read that. And I just felt like such an idiot in that moment of like, so the things that you're worried about are you know, how it's going to be perceived and and what's going to happen. And I was like, you need to do it for this person and for the people that, you know, it could impact. Because the truth of the matter is, is that like, you know, I was so blessed and so fortunate. Like my, my journey coming out was not a difficult one. You know, I was welcomed with open arms from my family. Like, you know, I didn't have any really hard struggles with it. And I'm so blessed for that because that's that's such a rarity, you know? And so I posted the message as mainly trying to be a light and and a source of, you know, any sort of beacon to kind of youth and to kind of kids. And the response that came after was kind of what I suspected. But, you know, I do know that outside of all of that and outside of any sort of press 
stuff, you know, I do know that it made an impact on people, which is why I really wanted to do it uh, more than anything else. And it's so dead. I mean, the one thing that I think of you totally from the outside in is like you are one of the most visible out like lgbtq artists singer songwriters and musicians that exist in the world right now especially considering the fact that you're still like crazy crazy young in your career even though as you say you're celebrating your 11th 11th year in the industry (laughs) you're still like in your early 20s and i think that is so incredible and i think the thing that i've noticed speaking to artists or creators or actors whatever they might be or or people you know like around the industry is they don't always get to see the impact of what that does for people and it is huge because I think when people are able to take control a bit over their own narrative and create positivity around them that sets that precedent for other people to say that it isn't totally out of your hands either like you have a huge ability to even if you are like you know, you were mentioning, if you are sadly in a situation which isn't as positive or you don't have that family Mm -hmm. stuff around you, there's still positive light you can find in that journey. It doesn't have to be this incredibly heightened doom and gloom sort of thing that I think a lot of the media has portrayed that experience to be for so long. So I loved the fact that it felt quite, at least as I say from the outside in, like effortless. It felt quite chill and that was really beautiful to see and refreshing because it wasn't this like big like you know, sparkle, I'm here. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you want to come out with a sparkly jacket on and do your yeah. coming out experience, that's also great if you want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I still stand by this as well as like, what's going to be interesting for the next generation is is that because there is a bit more normalcy, right? We're not mm-hmm. there yet. We might not ever be there, but things are progressively getting better. I do worry about the pressure that that brings mm-hmm. of, you know, I think younger, you know, people within the community feeling as if they have to mold themselves to fit what they've seen. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, if you, if you have a, a a kid who's who's young and doesn't like drag race, are they going to feel <laughs> as if they're, it, they're like ostracized? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and I want people to know that it's, it's truly your story. And no matter how long it takes, no matter how fast it is, no matter what parts of the culture you like, no matter what parts of the culture you don't like, it's your story at the end of the day. And I think that's what I wanted to, you know, tell people as much as possible. Because like, dude, at the time like that I was coming out, my biggest focus was on my 1966 Mustang. I was listening to like... <laughs> this hard like heavy metal stuff in my car i was smoking marlboro like shorts i I was not feeling the typical gay 18 year old you know (laughs) hanging out and i wanted people to know that that was okay yeah and most of the people that i interact with in the community do tend to be like a bit younger as well and i get like i'm fortunate to get people emailing me or like sending me dms and stuff about their experiences and a lot of you guys and people listening to this aren't always out and it's so true so many of the concerns are about what i need to be and actually yeah. i'm like you don't need to be anything you need to be you and and you're so right there's a sort of sometimes an expectation or pre-described way of being in the community and i'm like yeah. there so isn't and that's what i feel really passionately about that as well This is the point in the podcast where we put all of our cards on the table. There's no lies. We're truthful, we're honest, we're open, we're authentic, we're raw. All those annoying words <laughs> for something that we like to call do ask, do tell. Ooh. 
<laughs> which uh, is a reference that we feel like our American <laughs> listeners will particularly enjoy. Grayson and I are going to ask each other three questions, anything we want, and we have to answer them truthfully. And I'm putting myself in the hot seat here because God knows what I could be asked. <laughs> but for people that know me well, you know that I'll tell out how it is. So I'm, I'm going to be truthful. So I think it's only fair to let the guests go first. So we'll take it in turns. We've got three questions each. So Grayson, over to you. Do your, do your worst. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, what's one thing that you wish you could change about yourself? I can answer that so fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so self-critical. I really, really like <laughs> love criticizing myself. Maybe that wasn't a good start. No, I love it. So my nose has a little crook in it. You can see. Grayson can see. None oh of you. Gosh. None of you can see on the podcast. No, this is why we're doing this that. audio. Okay. There's two things about this. One, I wish I could change it, but I am learning to love it, which I do think good. is a process you can go through. My mother's maiden name is Carter, and it's called a Carter nose. Everybody in the Carter family has this nose. And all of my brothers don't. They have a Warner nose, and I am the only one with a Carter nose. (laughs) And I hate the fact that I've got it because it's got this slight little, (laughs) like, there's, to describe it to people listening, it's just like a very slight, like, kink towards the end. So it kind of just, like, (laughs) hooks a little bit. And you can't see it straight on, but side, you can see it. And I'm learning to love it because my grandmother, who I adore, who passed away in 2003, but I still love, has this nose. And so I'm learning, learning to love it. But I kind of wish I could get a nose job as well. You should call it a Cartier (laughs) nose. A Cartier (laughs) nose, exactly. Also, Uh, listen, if we we do need to go in and and get the nose job, we should do the two-for-one special. You and I should get facelifts and and we'll get nose jobs too. Well, the one thing about working in media is that you get offered this shit all the time. Uh-huh. Totally. And so you have to stop yourself from saying yes. I, I, I mean, it's a privilege and I'm really grateful, but the amount of times people have gone to me, hey, do you want lipo? And you, all you have to do is do an article about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want fucking lipo section. What the fuck? Fuck off. So yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go and get it done together and do a TV special. <laughs> yes. If there's one song that's come out of the Grace and Chance arsenal of like music, if there's one song that you never had to sing again... Which one would it be, if any? Fans might think this is interesting. And I don't mean to say this because I dislike the song, but one of the no. hardest songs for me to sing is actually off portraits called White Roses. Mm-hmm. And that's just because it's about like my past relationship. And every time I sing it, I can't help but feel such a sadness. And so, but I also too like love singing it because I love seeing the fans. Um you know, sing it out with me, but it is such a hard and emotional song. So if I, if I were able to like, you know, not sing that one again, I don't think I would be too upset, but of course I will sing it at every show. For sure. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. My second one for you, you have one Gaga album and only one, and there can't be a little, well, I'm in between X, Y, Z. I mean, it's, what is the one? For what it did for me at the time, Uh born this way. Okay. See, but this is this is so funny too about asking gays this question. Is there is always a preface. It's not always just a straight answer. It's always well because of this and that and and X Y Z. It would be this answer. I think for the way that it made me feel, I came out at fifteen, and I believe Born This Way came out like that year or the year after. So like, I was it it was just so bang on that point where it felt so right. So it totally. has to be that. And I still listen to it a lot to this day. 
the outro of the Queen is that guitar. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's not not one of my questions, but what's yours? Can you give me a straight answer as well? <laughs> I'm born this way, probably actually too. Definitely Joanne is up up there too. Yeah. I, I love that. And then, okay, okay, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I love all of it. I know that you're currently in a relationship. Yes. And very, very happy, which is beautiful to see. And I love, 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 love just seeing people Thanks. like all loved up in relationships. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy. What was the first guy that you had a crush on like they could be celebrity they could be a guy from school can you remember the first time that you were like oh like I just feel like all giggly about someone in like a cute young boy way it was when I was filming a tv show called Raising Hope so this was actually like post paparazzi I was probably like 14 at the time and I met this boy and I was like oh my gosh and I said he's like me And then him and I were talking and then he was like, you're like me. And then I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? Yeah. But I can't, I can't talk about it. He actually quite hates me now, I I do think. Okay, fine. But it it made you feel good at the time. So that's, that's what matters. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My last question for you is what, and I thought a lot about this one. So what is your least favorite part about queer Twitter? Um, how do I say this concisely? <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot. It's the fact that there's a guise of full awareness mm-hmm. and lack of like judgment, but so much, much judgment. Judgment. Yes. yes. I was going to say the quantity. I think that if you <laughs> identify within the queer community, that Twitter should have a thing where you're just limited. It's 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 right. two tweets every day. That's it. No more. No more memes. No more talking about Cromorios. It's done. You've finished for the day. It should be like Duolingo. You ran out of hearts. You're finished. You're done. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, my last question is, when are we getting a new album? Ooh. Um, <laughs> okay, so the album is finished. Thank the Lord. That is, that's news. That's incredible. Yes, it's done. Right now we are prepping out the next single, um, which mm-hmm. is actually a song called Hellboy. That's also a little bit of an exclusive. And the album will be out this spring, but definitely Amazing. probably towards the later end um, of spring. And the album is called Trophies. Amazing. Okay. That's a, that's a lot of information. It's a lot of information, gonna, yes. I'm very excited. I thought you were going to be like, nah, mm-hmm. none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the privileges of taking the helm at such an iconic company is getting to travel. I've always been in love with the United States and was always excited to visit some of our shoots and productions out in LA. It was an awesome evening at a friend's place and there, lounging by the pool, was Grace and Chance. I'm not going to flatter him too much, but the guy just looks effortlessly cool all the time. I don't. I need a lot of help to look cool. Anyway, I do know that I can strike up a half-decent conversation, so we started talking about portraits and everything to come in his career. I remember saying how much I loved listening to his album, which is clearly threaded throughout with queer experiences and relationships, and yet didn't need a sonic pride flag on every song to point it out. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Whether or not Grayson set out to make such a trailblazing record, the fact is, it is one. At the start of Planes, Grayson talks about Virginia Slims, which as a Brit, I'd never heard of. 
So naturally, I asked him what the hell they were. So before we get trophies, we've had Portraits, yes. which is like an incredible, incredible album, which I, I love so much. And I really, really, really do. There's something really incredibly soothing about your voice. And I think I've heard a lot of other people say that as well. Like the the actual kind of like tonal makeup of your voice is so incredible oh, to listen to. And it's so beautiful. And some of the, my most favorite points is when you have the interludes and you're just speaking. And it's just so nice to hear about the conversation. And I think at the beginning of Planes, mm-hmm. which I remember you speaking about um, an experience with your mom and you were imagining her with a Virginia Slim. Yeah. And I remember when we met, uh-huh. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with you and saying like, I don't know what a Virginia Slim is. What is a Virginia Slim? And like, what does it smell like? And why is, why is it synonymous with your mom? It's just <laughs> a super, super small cigarette. So like very, very thin and kind of long. We have something called Vogue's in the UK, which are like long and thin. Yes, yes, yes. That type of vibe. So it's like very traditionally like, it, it would be like back in the 70s and 80s, it would be like what an elegant woman would smoke because she doesn't want to have like something that. super like wide between her fingers. She wants something thin and something nice. And so my mom, <laughs> uh, my mom was like an avid smoker um, before she had kids. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I know is very, I, very bad. Not allowed, but all of the photos is, that I've yeah. seen, she just looks amazing. <laughs> As a parting thing, if you're looking at any aspiring singer-songwriters that any sort of single nugget of like wisdom considering we're now celebrating your 11th year in industry at the age of 23 any imparting like wisdom that you want to leave like the the young queer kids listening that are aspiring singer-songwriters because i think this is so useful to hear from people that have really lived through it you know i think in a world that is so oversaturated now right there's so much music out there there's a lot of things that are sounding just all all like the same I think, and it sounds a little cliche, but genuinely, like, the only thing that you're going to be able to bring to to the world that's unique is yourself and your own voice. So remain authentic. Let that be always your card that you put down on the table because no one else has it. And I think my other thing that I would, you know, encourage people to let them know is it's all about um, letting people in. Let people really see who you are and let the music share, you know, your story and, and, and bring people into the pain, into the vulnerability, into the happy moments. Let them all in because they want to see it. And so that would be my advice. And have a good attorney because <laughs> you're going to need That's it. very, very concrete advice. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time again to do this. And I hope that next time we see each other, it's either over a cocktail but it's also on like a night of your tour or something because you're such an incredible live performing artist and i'm really excited that we're back in a real context and listening to live music again i'm super excited for that me too thank you so much tag i'm sending all the love it was so good to catch up with grayson to reminisce and dig deep and also to look forward and feel excited about the future I think one thing that I'm going to take away from that conversation is what Grayson was saying about making sure you allow yourself to stay true to who you are, being open to others, but also not allowing other people's expectations to shape your future. Don't forget, you can listen to Grayson's latest single, Hellboy, on all streaming platforms now. Thank you so much for listening. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast. 
Subscribe and listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you're following at Gay Times on all major social media platforms for the latest LGBTQ plus news, culture, and entertainment. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Finally, make sure you check out Gay Times Plus, our membership platform for everyone in our community. Remember, you can find more information at gaytimesplus.com. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast hosted by me, Tag Warner. It is produced by Iwan Obinyan with production by II Studios. The production assistant is Ade Damola Bajumo. Gay Times original content is delivered by GTX, the Gay Times agency.